welcome back. This is week number five of the book of James that we are studying. And I've got a tough one tonight. We're diving into chapter three. Chapter three is all about the power of the tongue, something that every one of us use on a daily basis, our tongue. Uh, you know, the, the tongue is powerful. Uh, think about it like this. When you go to the doctor's office, one of the first things the doctor does is looks at your tongue because oftentimes the tongue can tell you whether or not the body is healthy. That's why the doctor makes you stick out your tongue and he looks at the tongue. I read on WebMD today, you know, the, the, if you ever need to self-diagnose, uh, don't encourage that. Uh, obviously, go see a medical professional. But WebMD says bumps, patches, and spots in your mouth can be harmless, but sometimes they can give clues to what's going on with your overall health. You know, the tongue shows so much about what is inside of you with your physical health, but also with your heart. So as we dive into chapter 3 today, let me begin with a verse from Proverbs, because this is what James is building on through chapter 3. Proverbs 18, verse 21, the Bible says this, death and life, death and life, both are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. One of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible, which basically means there are no neutral words. So let me put it like this. Do you mind if, if just for a few minutes I speak freely tonight? The reality is I can't speak freely because words cost. There's no such thing as a free word. There, there are no neutral words. Every word you speak has a value. It's either producing life or it's producing death, but there are no neutral words. You cannot speak freely because words cost. I love the way Mark Twain, the great American poet, said it. The difference between the right word and the almost right word, this is great for married people, is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And that is so true. I mean, think about it. Words can destroy relationships. Words can destroy careers. How many people put a word on Twitter and lost their job over it? Words can create wars between nations and countries. One of the greatest lies from the pit of hell that was ever created that we, that we feed our children is sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can never hurt me. The reality is some of you are still carrying wounds today, 30, 40 years later, from words that were spoken to you as a child. You know, they say words cut like a knife. Think about it like this. If you take a knife and you jab a knife into somebody and then you pull the knife out and you look at him and say, I was just kidding. I was just joking. I mean, no, there's still a hole inside of them. I want you to think about your words that way. So often we make a sarcastic remark. We say something ugly. We say something rude. And when we see that it hurt the person, we, we throw the get-out-of-jail-free card. I was just kidding. I was just joking. But what you did is you just stabbed the person with a knife. Words are so powerful. Your tongue has power over the listener. Some of us are still dealing with words. And James gets into it in chapter 3. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, James says, Dear brothers and sisters, listen to his pastor's heart here. Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
Words are so serious that people who speak the most will be judged the most, is what James is saying. There's three implied truths here about Christianity I think you need to understand to understand Christianity. The first truth that you see in this verse, and if you're taking notes, if you're following your small group guide, here's your first fill in the blank. Christians are judged. Christians are judged. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, wait, wait a second. Aren't we exempt from judgment? Yet we will never be judged for our sin. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation, there is no judgment for those that are in Christ Jesus. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that whatever we build with is going to be judged by fire. Meaning, are you building for eternity? Are, are you speaking life in the situations that's going to last? In other words, we're not going to be judged for our sins, but you need to understand this truth about Christianity. We will be evaluated for what we did with what God gave us. God gave all of us gifts. He gave all of us abilities. He gave all of us resources, and we will be judged according to how we used what God gave us. In verse 1, James is really, he's building on something his brother Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. And this is your second note here. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. To, to the person that's been given much, so teachers have been given many words to teach and wisdom to teach. Well, teachers are going to be judged more strictly. More is going to be required out of them, in other words, because of what they've been given. So here's the question. Have you been given better things in life than many people living throughout the world? You know, if you've ever traveled in the third world, then you realize the poorest person in North County is still living better than many people in third world countries. We have been given more meaning God will hold us to a higher standard of accountability. And, and here's the truth. You may think you're doing a lot because you're doing more than another, but how much were they given to begin with and how much were you given to begin with? You know, there was an amazing book written back in the 90s by Rick Joyner called The Final Quest. And in the book, he tells a story of, of two different people. One guy was a good father. He was you know, a, a good husband. He worked hard, provided for his family. He was a faithful servant at his church. He taught Sunday school. And then there was another guy sitting on a bus who was this homeless guy, and, and he was an alcoholic, and he struggled with drugs. And there was a little a kitten that somehow got onto the, to the bus station where he was sleeping on the bench. And, and he goes to, to he was going to kill the kitten. He was going to stomp the kitten to death. But instead of stomping the kitten, he just kind of kicks the cat away. And in the, the vision that this guy was having of these two different people, God asked him, who showed me more love today? And he goes, well, it's a no-brainer. The first guy, he's a good husband. He's a good father. You know, he teaches Sunday school. He serves faithfully in his church. He provides for his family. He obviously showed you more love. He said, no, no, no. If 100 portions was the maximum amount of love you could receive, I gave him 100 portions in his life, and he's only using about 50 of them. The other guy's only been given about three portions of love, and it took all three to keep himself from killing the cat. 
He's showing me more love. He's using more of what I've given him. To him that has been given much, much will be required in return. And then the third truth you see in verse 1 is the people with the most words, again, words, will be judged the most. So if, if, if you use a lot of words, you, you're, you're going to be more accountable when you get to heaven if you talk a lot. Like, like, like if your mouth is always moving, if, if there's a lot of words coming, you're going to be judged by a higher standard because words cost. The, the, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Let's jump into verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Now, this is one of the most powerful, radical truths in all the Bible, and it's going to be hard for you to believe this at first, but I want you to listen to this. For if we could control our tongue, your tongue, not your heart, your tongue, if you could control your tongue, we would be perfect without sin, in other words, and could also control ourselves in every other way. Wait, do you have a habit that you would love to break in your life? Is there an addiction that you deal with? Is there an area of your life that you struggle with, an issue that you'd love to be able to resolve? What James is saying here is if you could learn to control your tongue, you would be perfect. You would learn to control every area of your life in every way. Think about how radical that is, and it is absolutely true. If you master your words, you can master your whole life. If you are faultless in what you say, James is saying you would be faultless as a human being. It's the key to permanent change. Think about it like this. We teach a lot in our church that belief determines behavior. What you believe determines what you do. Now, what you believe shapes everything, and your words reflect your belief. If you want to know what you believe, what you truly believe, listen to your words. It's not what you think. It's what you say is what you believe. That's why small groups are critical as followers of Jesus Christ. We've got to have healthy relationships with other believers. We've got to have environments where we can talk and we can share because it's in those environments that as we begin to listen to what we say, we begin to realize what we truly believe. And we can be challenged and encouraged by other believers to get our tongues in alignment with God's word. Let's jump into verse 3 through 5. And I'm, I'm gonna, as, as we begin to read 3 and I'm going to show you four amazing facts in this chapter about the tongue. Verse 3, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Now, if you're following your small group guide, this is going to be huge because the, the fill in the blank is the most important word in the statement, the fill in the blank and these four facts are all adverbs. And the adverb is what makes the statement so incredibly powerful. Here's number one. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. You see, I could say the tongue is powerful and that would be true, but what's really remarkable is it's not just powerful, it's disproportionately powerful. 
it's a little thing with a, a disproportionate amount of power. Amazing. Amazing. And James gives us three examples. The first one is a horse's bit. You know, if you've ever seen a horse, they are massive creatures. Strength, weight, power, and yet this tiny little piece of metal can control an entire horse. All of its power, all of its strength. James is saying is if you can control your tongue, you'll be able to control all of your strength. You'll be able to direct your entire life. If you don't have the strength right now to face life's challenges, like if you're overwhelmed with what life is throwing at you, it is directly related to your tongue. You can have knowledge, but if you do not learn how to control your tongue. Remember what James says in chapter one, if you claim to be religious, meaning you know serving God, I'm not talking about religion in the sense of religion and grace, he's, he's talking about pure religion here. If you claim to be religious or have real faith, but do not control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself and your religion, your faith is worthless. Imagine a wild horse without a bit, all of that power and energy, but you're not able to direct any of it. Then James says a ship's rudder. Now, my, my family, we love to cruise. We, we love to go on those massive cruise ships. And these ships are huge. I mean, they've got movie theaters and bowling rinks and, and trampoline parks. And now they have go-kart tracks on the roof of these ships. I mean, these, these are water parks. On, I mean, there's huge, massive ships and if you've ever seen the rudder of one of these ships, the rudder is tiny in comparison to the size of the ship, but the rudder controls the direction of the whole ship in a storm. When the ship goes through the storm, if a rudder is not pointed in the right direction, it's never going to get to where it needs to go. Do you realize why so many people capsize in their life? Why so many people shipwreck their life? Because their tongue is not faced in the right direction during the storm. I mean, think about it. Even in good weather, if the rudder is not going in the right direction, you're not going to get to the right destination. Your rudder is so powerful, and your tongue is the rudder of your life. Then number, the, the, the third thing James says is a spark. A tiny spark sets a forest fire. That's very real to us here in California. We've got fires going all over Southern California right now that were started by little sparks. Verse 6, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. And I want you to pay attention to this statement because we're going to come back here. For it is set on fire by hell itself. It's set on fire by hell itself. The tongue is born sinful. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil full of deadly poison. Here's the second thing. The tongue is inherently evil. The tongue is not just evil. It's the adverb. It's inherently evil. Think about it. You do not have to teach your kids how to say ugly things. It just comes natural. You have to teach children how to say nice things, how to, how to speak nice, how to say thank you, how to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. The default setting of our tongue is evil. And then again in verse 7 and 8, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Here's the third fact, amazing fact. The tongue is humanly 
untamable. The tongue is humanly. No one can tame the tongue. It's humanly untamable. How many of you have ever made a vow, I'll never say that again, only to stumble and say it again? You know, they've done scientific research, and they've discovered that dumb actually stores up in your head. Like, like you store dumb up, and it just comes out at the most inopportune times in your life. Talk to any married guy. I mean, it just, it, it flows. Here's the bad news. The tongue is humanly untamable. Here's the good news. The tongue is divinely tameable. The one who wrote the owner's manual to the tongue can actually fix it. Exodus chapter 4, 10 through 12, Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with my words. My tongue doesn't work right. I've never been. I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. That's so funny. Now, now God, that you've called me, now that you've supernaturally spoke to me from a burning bush, I still get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. I love Moses. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not say, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. The tongue may be humanly untamable, but it is divinely tameable. See, here's the truth about the tongue. Satan cannot hurt you. I don't know if you know this or not. The devil cannot lay one hand on you. If he could, he would have killed you by now. The only thing the devil can do is, is occupy your mouth. What the devil wants to do is feed you lies, and he wants your tongue to agree with the lies that he's feeding you. And when you get your tongue to turn on yourself, he gets you to destroy yourself for him. And it all comes from your tongue. This is why we talked about Psalm 91 earlier this year, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But it's not just the Bible. It's the Bible when we say it out loud with our tongue. Powerful, humanly untamable, but divinely tameable. Verse 9, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Here's the fourth Amazing fact about the tongue. The tongue is contrastingly productive. Contrastingly productive. And again, focus on the adverb. I could have said the tongue was powerful, but it's not enough. It's disproportionately powerful. I could have said the tongue is evil, but it's not enough. It's inherently evil. I could have said it's untamable, but it's only humanly untamable. I could say the tongue is productive because power and life and death is in the tongue, but the truth is, it's contrastingly productive. Do you realize your tongue can do what nothing else in nature can do? An apple tree can't decide one day to produce oranges and the next day to produce apples. Do you understand what I'm saying? The tongue has the ability to do what nothing else in nature can do. One day we can bless somebody, one day we can curse somebody. We can even do it in the same, we can do it in the same minute if we want to. I mean, you see these people in church, they're, they're singing, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and then they go to the bathroom and start talking to their girlfriend, oh, I can't believe this person, da, 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 da. And, and it's like one second they're, they're in singing and worshiping, and the next second they're out in the courtyard running their mouth negatively about blessing and cursing in the same church service. 
James is saying that is unnatural for believers. That is not the way Christians live their lives. Surely, brothers and sisters, this is not right. It's a tough book. It's a tough book. But here's the good news. I said the bad news is the tongue is contrastingly productive. Here's the good news. The tongue is contrastingly productive. Yes, your tongue can create a lot of damage. It can create a lot of damage in your life. It can create a lot of damage in the life of people you love. But the good news is your tongue can also create a lot of good. A lot of good in your life and in the people's life that you love. It's humanly untamable, I said, but it's divinely tameable. So how do we tame the tongue? How, how do we yield our tongue to God so that he can tame our tongue? Look at verse 11 and 12. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. I want you to see this contrast for where James is going in chapter 3. We began the chapter by saying the tongue uh, impacts your heart. If you could control your tongue, you, you could control your entire life. You could control, you would be perfect. You would have a perfect heart if you could control your tongue. But now at the end of chapter three, he seems to be saying that out of your heart, your, your, your mouth flows. Your, your tongue is now impacted by your heart. First he's saying your tongue can control your heart. Now he's saying that it's your heart that controls your tongue. And it's what Jesus said about the tree. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of our heart, the mouth speaks. So why is there this contrast? Why is he saying at the beginning, if you can control your tongue, you can control your heart? And now he's saying it's your heart that controls your tongue. Your heart, your tongue is a reflection of what's in your heart. These aren't two different strategies that contradict each other. These are strategies that actually complement one another. Let me show you how this works. Strategy number one, get control of the tongue. Get control of the tongue and you will be perfect in every way. Get control of the tongue and you will shape what is in your heart. So this is your assignment this week. Get control of your tongue. So, so here's my challenge to you. For one week, one week, for the next seven days, one week, don't boast or defend yourself under any circumstance. Don't gossip don't speak negatively about anyone else just for one. Actually, better yet, just try it from 9 to 12 tomorrow because that's about all you're going to make it. I mean, honestly. I mean, you will be amazed. If you tried this assignment, you would be absolutely amazed how much pride, how much insecurity, how unloving we can be so easily with our tongue. Why? Well, I want you to remember what it said in verse 6. Verse 6 said, your tongue is set on fire by hell itself. Your tongue is set on fire by hell itself. There are two different types of fire in the Bible. There's the fire of hell. The Bible talks about the fires of hell. But there's also the fire of heaven. Throughout the Bible, there's fire that comes from heaven. Isaiah, the fire came from heaven, and the first thing the fire did was touch his mouth touched his tongue, fixed his tongue. Remember the day of Pentecost? Fire fell. What was the first thing they saw? Tongues of fire. What was the first thing that happened? Their speech changed. Their speech changed. Think about the exact opposite, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, 
God came down, confused their tongue, poisoned their speech, poisoned their tongue where they could not, because God said as long as they were of one voice, as long as they were of one language. See, we, we think it says as long as they were in unity. Go back and read it. As long as they had one language, anything they proposed to do would not be impossible. So God had to confuse their language. He had to poison their speech to stop them from accomplishing the evil that they were going to accomplish. He did the exact opposite on the day of Pentecost. He came down and he sweetened their speech because the disciples went out and they began to speak in every native tongue the words of God that brought peace, that brought salvation, that brought healing to people's life. You see, with Pentecost, he reversed the tower of Babel. How did it happen? Well, they were, it says they were all gathered in the Lord's house, in what we believe was the temple in Jerusalem. And they were, they were worshiping, and they were studying, and they were, they were proclaiming with their mouth what Jesus did at the cross. They were having a revelation of what he did on their behalf, the salvation that they received, what really happened at the cross. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell and touched their mouth. Here's the second strategy. The first strategy is learn how to control your tongue. Well, the greatest way to control your tongue is yield your mouth to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit take control of your mouth. The second one, the second strategy he's talking about at the end is a heart that is healed will produce words that are healed. Have you ever had a friend, you know, I have a friend that, that you know, he loves to run his mouth and he always, this is what he says, he goes, well, I just say it like it is. I just say it like it is. You know, it's like if I'm thinking it, I'm saying it. That's okay if you have a healed heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? If your heart is healthy, it's okay to say it like it is. It's okay to share your mind whenever you want to share your mind if your heart is healed. But if your heart is not healed, it's not great to say it as it is because what's coming out is a reflection of what's in your heart. You understand what I'm saying? So we, gotta, we, we, have, a, we have to have a healthy heart. We have to have a healed heart heart because when we allow God to heal our heart, and again, this is what our Freedom Small Groups are all about, taking you on a journey to find a heart that is healed because when your heart is healed, you'll be amazed at what happens to your tongue when you go through a journey of freedom in your heart. So the first step is get control of your tongue because your tongue will control every area of your life. The second strategy is get a healed heart because out of your heart, the mouth speaks and these strategies don't contradict they complement each other. This is what James is getting at. Here, here's, here's my assignment for you this week. Go online if you don't have a message Bible, and I want you to read James chapter 3 in a message Bible. A message Bible. It, it's a beautiful paraphrase of what the Word of God says, but it'll challenge you. And I think it'll help bring new life to this passage as you're meditating and pondering on these thoughts. Now, as we end, I'm just going to touch on this very quickly. There's, a, there's five verses left, verses 13 to 18. Uh, James is talking here. He, he transitions into dead faith versus living faith. And so I just want to touch on this for just a moment as we close. What James is talking about is the difference between profession and possession of the Christian faith. You can profess to be a Christian without living like a Christian. Or you can actually possess Christian faith, which produces Christian fruit in your life. 
That's what James is getting at. Verse 13 says, if you are wise and understand God's way. So you take this whole passage on the tongue. Here's the culmination. If you are wise and understand God's way, prove it by living an honorable life. He doesn't say you live an honorable life so that you can become a Christian. You live an honorable life to prove that you have a Christian faith that you actually possess a Christian faith. It's not just in word. It's not, you're not just a Christian in name or in word. You're a Christian inside, which produces the fruit in your life. He says, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Again, it's one thing to profess, but it's another thing to have living faith. Living faith that is demonstrated and shown in a transformed Life. Verse 14, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And that's where we're going to end tonight. We're going to transition now into some Q&A Again, James throughout this book shows you who you are. You're a believer in Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. As a result, here's what it produces in your life. And what we see in chapter 3 is what real living faith produces in our tongue and in our life. Let's jump into some Q&A. Let me pray for you first. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to study James with our church family. God, let this chapter penetrate our heart. It's challenging. It's challenging. God, our tongue, uh, when Isaiah, when, when your presence came into the room and the fire began to fall, Isaiah thought he was doomed. And the reason he thought he was doomed is because of his tongue. Because of his tongue. God, our tongues get us in so much trouble. God, teach us how to yield and submit our tongue to the Holy Spirit. Because if we can control our tongue, we can be perfect in every way. And God, teach us how to allow you to heal our heart so that our mouth is an overflow of a healthy and a healed heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Take it away, Greg. Man, oh man. There, is my mic on? It is one. You're good to go, man. All right. <laughs> Give it uh, up for Greg. Isn't he awesome? <laughs> All right. I'm on. Okay, I'm all flustered now. Uh, here we go. And so, all right, so super, super powerful, super, uh, super heavy, right? Um, let's, let's start from the beginning, right? You said that every word has value and every word has a cost, right? And so what about, how does that play into curse words? How does that play into using the Lord's name in vain? Well, there's, there's two different issues there, and, and this is really, really important for Christians to understand. The first is we call it a, a curse word. Curse. Curse. Remember Deuteronomy? I put before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life. Mm. Curse. I mean, we, we, we don't want to curse because 
Our words have power. You don't want to put curses over people's life. What's amazing to me, because there's, there's foul language, you know, like there's, there's what we call cuss words, which are sometimes curse words, sometimes they're just inappropriate words. What's amazing to me is how Satan is so strategic. He took the absolute worst possible word you could ever say, the worst curse word you could possibly say, and I'm not talking about the F word, I'm talking about the worst curse word you can ever possibly say, and he made it, the, the, in our culture today, the least curse word, a curse word that I know so many Christians who use this word on a regular basis, and they don't even understand the power of what they're actually saying when they use this word, and I'm talking about the word damn. The word damn is a short, and it's an abbreviation for the word damnation. Damnation is eternal hell forever. That's what the word damnation means, eternal hell forever. Damn to hell forever. Satan made that the word that's acceptable for us to use, and the F word, which really isn't that bad a word when you study what it actually means, because it's not a curse, it's just, it's an inappropriate word, but it's not an actual curse. The word damn is an actual curse. And it's amazing to me how many Christians use this word. It's like, listen, your wallet has enough problems. You don't need to damn your wallet. Your, your car, you got enough issues in life. You don't need to damn your car. You don't need to damn your toe if you stub it. You don't need to damn all... I mean, there's so many things that we, we, we curse our life. You know, Psalm says, uh, uh, as curses come out of his mouth, so it comes back on him. Every time you allow curses to come out of your mouth, it comes back on you. So, so just be careful about using curses. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's like we're in Halloween season, talking about witches and curses. This stuff is real, and, and it's powerful. Life and death is in the powerful stuff. Now, taking the Lord's name in vain is not what you think. Now, using God's name in a profane way is using God's name as a curse word. Like when you stub your toe and you yell Jesus or you yell GD, that's using God's name in a profane way. Using God's name in vain, the word vain is vanity. Vanity is selfishness. So how do you use God's word and name? Well, we got young adults here tonight. Uh, young adults, historically in the Christian world, are famous for using God's word, God's name in vain. Uh, I don't know how many times as a pastor I've had a young adult come over here. God told me I'm going to marry that girl. You know what I'm saying? That's using God's name in a selfish way. You're using God's name to further your agenda. People do it all the time. God told me you're supposed to give me $100. God told me you're supposed to, you're using God's name in a selfish way. That is taking the Lord's name in vain, and that's what you need to be careful. Anytime you say God said, you better make sure God said, because if not, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, right. Someone's, someone's real afraid right now. <laughs> um, okay, and so following along in that, uh, in that vein, right, uh, you also go on to, to talk about how, and how James talks about, those who teach will be judged more, yeah. right? And it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because we're taught so often that the leaders are who get judged more, and people lead not by what they say, but by what they do. They lead by example, yeah. right? But now, you know, I'm hearing that, and we're hearing that it's the words that we say, and the more words that well, we the have. The words that we say, remember, create our example. Because when we control our words, we control our example. Because mm -hmm. our words control our behavior. 
And so then what about when people do things like verbalize when they're afraid or verbal because uh, that was another that was something that was also pretty powerful, right? Uh, verbalizing that we're overwhelmed or whatever it may be. How does that, how does that play into it or how should we approach that? Yeah, it, 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 there, there, there's a balance of identifying how you feel, but then at the same time declaring God's truth over the circumstance. Mm-hmm. So we're not delusional as Christians. We, 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 we have a reality. You, you know, so I, I have the symptoms of, uh, you know, allergies right now, but I thank Jesus that I'm healed in Christ. So I recognize reality. I'm not delusional to reality, but I align my tongue with God's truth. I use my tongue to exercise faith to align with God's truth. So I don't deny reality. You know, and, and there's a balance because there are people take this to a very unhealthy extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, you know that you can't say anything at all. Like, like, don't say that, brother. You're speaking. No, no, no. no. It, it's if you're complaining and being negative, that's one thing. But if you're being honest about, you know, I, I feel, you know, I, I'm, I'm having some some feelings of fear right now. But the Lord has not given me a spirit of fear. So I'm recognizing what's going on, but then I'm declaring truth with my tongue. Powerful, such a such a such a uh, an important distinction, and I think it also. Well, and I, and I'll ask you right when it comes down to speaking things into existence, yeah. right? Can can you talk a little bit about about that and how the tongue can do that or cannot do that, and how we're you know because you already touched on aligning with the Lord's word, right? Yeah, this this, this during COVID season we did it. We did I think a four week series on faith where I, I taught this in depth, and I would definitely encourage you to check that out on our on our on our church channel on faith. But your your tongue is what activates faith, you know. And, and this shouldn't shock us because if you look at how the world was created, how did God create the world? He spoke the world into existence. Let there be light. He didn't think the world into existence. He didn't think let there be light. He said let there be light. So the world that you and I live in was created by the spoken word, and it's designed to respond to the spoken word. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, you're not just going to have whatever you believe. He's going to, he said, you'll have whatever, whatever you say. Believe in your heart, say to this mountain. Mm -hmm. If you do not doubt in your heart, you will have whatever you say. It's exactly what Jesus said. When many people fail uh, to see miracles in life, it's not oftentimes what they believe, it's what they're aligning their tongue with. Wow. Now, we've got to be sensitive, too, because we, we have to align our tongue with God's word and God's will. And so before we speak and, and, and align our tongue, we always ask God, God, what do you want to do in this situation? Because there are times, and plenty of people in Christianity have been through it, where their tongue was aligned in the right direction, and for whatever reason, what they were believing God for did not happen. Mm -hmm. And we can't say, well, they failed somehow. We have to say, we don't understand God's ways all the time. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than our thoughts. We get to choose what we say. We get to choose to align our tongue with faith God decides when and where the miracles happen. Amen. We don't control the miracles. They're, they're activated out of grace. We just align our tongue in faith. Huge. Huge. Thank you for that. 
And you and you already, that's a question that I have here, and you're already starting to kind of touch on it, right? And so if someone wants to submit their tongue to the Holy Spirit, how do they submit their tongue to the Holy Spirit? You know, that, that's why, you know, we're so passionate about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's why at the end of our Freedom Conference, we, we lead people in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, when Jesus... When, when Jesus uh, was, was in the upper room with the disciples after the resurrection, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was at that moment theologians believed that the salvation, the new covenant was established. They received the infilling of the Holy Spirit as a seal of salvation. Mm-hmm. That's the Holy Spirit in them. But then Jesus said, now go and wait for the power. The power is the Holy Spirit on them salvation, the moment you become born again, the Holy Spirit comes in and seals your salvation. That stands all by itself. That's the blood of Jesus and nothing else. But if you want the Holy Spirit on you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit on your life, that's something you have to seek and ask. It's not automatic at salvation because salvation stands alone. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a powerful way to just allow the Holy Spirit to come on you. And oftentimes when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the first things the Holy Spirit does, not every time and not always right away, but one of the first things the Holy Spirit does is takes control of your tongue supernaturally. We call it praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. Um, I pray in tongues personally. uh, On average, 75% of my prayer life is done in tongues. Yielding my tongue to the Holy Spirit, letting Him pray through me. I have no idea. Paul... Paul put it best. He goes, uh, as I'm praying in this language, it's unfruitful to my mind. My mind doesn't understand it, anything of what I'm saying. But I'm building things in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I yield my tongue to the Holy Spirit daily through you know, the, just, just the, the discipline of uh, praying in tongues and, and speaking in tongues on, on a regular basis. And I notice the more I do that, the more my tongue is in check the rest of the day, better. Better. <laughs> Better. But again, there was the two strategies. There's yielding your tongue to the Holy Spirit, but there's also dealing with a healed heart. You know, one of the things I'm working through this COVID season is, uh, you know, my wife and I have been and get, getting some counseling and therapy because I realize there's still some residue uh, from my childhood. You know, some areas of my life, some insecurities that I still haven't fully worked through. And I know that when I work through some of these things, when I get my heart healthier than it is today, that it'll impact my tongue. So, so again, there's two strategies that we're working on all the time, and they complement. It's not one or the other, it's both. At the same time. It's both, yeah. That's a big deal. Like, I want to yield my tongue to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, but I also want to pursue allowing God to heal my heart. Okay. And so this, this is great, right, because you're starting to touch on another question that's, that's here, right? Uh, <laughs> I feel like my heart is healed. But sometimes, just when, I, uh, just when I say that, I say things that aren't that I think, and they're not always wise. Why do I still do that? Something's in your heart. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to trust that Jesus is telling the truth. And Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if something comes out of your mouth you don't like, be honest with yourself, self-examine, allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you, and, and I do it all the time. I say the Holy, you know, I ask the Holy Spirit all the time, why did I just say that? Like, what was that? And, you know, they, they were like the other day, uh, I was in a conversation and I said something 
And I drove away and I felt uncomfortable and I started searching my heart and, and, I, and the Holy Spirit said, you were trying to make yourself look better than you really are. Mm. You're not being secure in who you are in me. I love you and you're enough. You don't have to show off. You don't have to be, you don't have to try to make yourself look more impressive. Just be confident in who you are and who I made you to be. You don't need to, you know, because because it, 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 it was like I, w- I was overly trying to impress somebody, and so I was trying to make myself look better than I really am, and I exaggerated a little bit, and I realized it just came from some insecurity where I wasn't confident in who I was in Christ. And so you just have to learn to be in tune with your emotions, and when you say something, analyze it. Analyze it. Like, ask the Holy Spirit, why did I say that? Where did that come from? You know, what was, the mo- what was the root of that? Because that, that wasn't healthy what I said, but it's not just what I said. It's not just technique of learning how to control my tongue. It came out of my heart from something. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so in that instance, and we've heard, we've heard you say this quite a few times, right? When it comes down to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of sin when we're believers, the Holy Spirit is convicting, convicts us of righteousness, right? Is that, what you do, is that what you would describe is what happened to you in that situation? Yeah, because, because again, I said what I said because I forgot that I was righteous. I, I was feeling insecure, which is the opposite of righteousness. Mm-hmm. When I feel right with God, I'm very confident. I'm very secure. It's not an arrogant confidence. It's a humble confidence. It's a confidence where I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to show off. I don't have to be bigger and better to feel better. You know, it, it, and so it was a lack of righteousness. And so when I, when I really searched my heart and was asking the Holy Spirit, why did, I, why did I say that? It was like, you're good enough. I love you. You're righteous. You don't have to try to be something you're not. Praise God for grace. Yeah, I mean, it's like we all have insecurities. We're working through Praise God. Well, that is, uh, that's our time. This is flown. It's a good night. (laughs) You have have a question? So the question for those of you watching online quickly before we sign out, uh, how do we deal in the world that we live in uh, with people that don't have a healed heart saying it as it is? It all depends on the circumstance. Uh, if, you, like, like if, if you're at work and there's a group of guys that always go out on break and they're always telling filthy, dirty jokes, uh, inappropriate stuff, don't go. Don't go hang with them. Go do something else. Even if they make fun of you, go do something else because you don't want that stuff coming into your mind. If it's family, uh, it, it, you know, you, you just, that's why you have the Holy Spirit. There are times where you just overlook it and love them because, it, especially if they're not believers, if they haven't signed up to live by the code that you've signed up to live by, the Bible is crystal clear. We are never, 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 never to judge a non-believer over anything. Ever. Now, judging believers is one thing. The Bible does say we're to hold each other accountable. So, so this idea that we're not supposed to judge Christians, that's not biblical at all. You know, if, if someone comes in and takes an advantage of a child, oh, you better believe we're going to judge that person and, and take care of business. Paul threw people out of church over stuff. 
but were never, Paul said, to judge an unbeliever. So if, they, if they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, they didn't sign up to live by the standard that I signed up to live by. So it's not my place to correct them or judge them. It's my place to love them and show them grace. All right, we got to sign out? Yeah, we got to sign out. Uh, this has been great. This has been huge. Thank you so much for doing this. Your ability to answer these questions uh, that comes in is truly a gift from God. Obviously, you know that already. That's why you're here. Um, <laughs> and so thank you all uh, for joining us. Thank you, Coastline family that's here with us for joining us. I uh, hope you had a great time. We will be back here again at 730. If you want to join us live like our uh, family here, just go to coastlinechurch.org. What is it? Events? Events. Register. And we'd love to see you. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. <clears throat>